So we're going to read through Matthew, uh, from Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is life not more, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Who, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And obviously, um, Jesus goes on uh, to talk further about worrying and about examples of, uh, of how God looks after his creation and how God looks after us. This is the start of a passage, really, where, God is, uh, where Jesus is looking at our attitudes towards money. And uh, you might think, well, why did you then link in this, this bit in the next section about do not worry? Surely that's a separate section there that Jesus is starting. Well, well no, it's not. Obviously, the, the divisions that we have, the little headings, weren't there originally. Jesus didn't sort of uh, give a little chapter heading as he was, as he was preaching. Um, he, his thought just all linked together. And actually, um, anxiety about the future is very much tied in with our view about money. Um, because we, it's one of the things that we do get anxious about. It's one of the things we do wonder about. So when Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear, he's, he's tapping into something that people are seriously worried about. People are thinking, well, what's going to happen in the future? I just don't know what security is there in this life. And uh, the things that they, people at the time had issues with um, will be maybe very different to the things that we might think now, although there will be some similarities. One similarity is um, that money was a way that people thought, actually, I can try and protect myself. I can try and get some security for the future um, by how I deal with money and what my attitude towards money is. And we can store up things. We can save money. Um, and, you know, we want to try and protect ourselves. These days, we might want to make sure we've got enough money in our bank account or that our pension scheme is well paid up or we're well insured, our property is insured, or even our own lives are insured. Um, or we might even do as my grandparents did and just hide their cash away in the attic, um, and, which we found after they died. Um, and I think it was all notes that had gone out of date. <laughs> That's a bit pointless. Um, but they, they thought, this is securing, storing up things for the future. This anxiety about the future can easily cause us to store up treasures on earth, which is what Jesus is looking at in verse 19, isn't it? When he says, do not store up treasures on earth. Why? Because we want to make sure we're okay. Most anxiety, actually, most things that we worry about is about the future. We don't tend to worry about what's happening right now. And we don't tend to worry so much about what's happened in the past. Maybe a little bit of those. Most of the time you worry 
is about what's going to happen in the future. And uh, that in itself isn't a bad thing. It's understandable. Actually, the Bible commends us to think about the future. It, it doesn't just have us thinking about today. It wants us to think about the future. Jesus isn't saying don't think about the future. He's just pointing out we need to get a bigger perspective of the future. He's not saying don't be concerned about storing up treasure. He says stop storing up treasures for yourself on the earth and start storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. Get a bigger perspective of what the future is. Don't just be thinking the future is the next 40, 50, 60 years, however many years you've got to live on this earth. He's taking the long-term view rather than the short-term view. And he does it in lots of other places as well. For example, in Luke chapter 12 and verse, 20, uh, and verse 33, Luke 12 verse 33, he says, um, sell your possessions. From verse 32, he says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. In other words, this is your future. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Similar uh, sort of thing that he's saying here in Matthew. Um, sell your things, sell your possessions. Provide for yourself purses in heaven. And in Matthew chapter 13, he talks about a parable. He talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Matthew 13 and verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. He sees treasure in a field, and he sells all he has, and he buys the field. He's taking the long-term view. As Christians, we have an enemy, and he wants us to take the short-term view. He wants us to think just about the immediate future. And often we're very willing to go along with him. He wants us to concentrate on the time we have left in this life. He wants us to focus entirely on from, from our birth up until when we, when we die in this life. And I guess that's what most people in our society do. Most people in our society um, start thinking about what is the thing that is going to give us the most joy, the most comfort, the most security here on earth. So we get our laptops and we go and have a look and we think, well, where can we get a really nice house? Where can we buy a, a great house in this fantastic area of the city? We want it to have a big garden. We want it to be nice and comfortable. We want to furnish it. Um, we'll go and find lots of other things. I know. Well, here's a website. I want one of those.com. Well, there'll, there'll be lots of things on there that I can get. Uh, and we can get a load of stuff, whatever it is, whatever we might be into personally, which gives us sort of a bit of pleasure, a bit of enjoyment, a bit of comfort, maybe security for the future. It makes sense. Because if that's your perspective, if that's all we're looking at, if we're only looking until we die, then of course we'll do that. Of course we'll use our money in that way. Paul points that out in 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, in verse 32, he kind of says it the other way around. Um, but he says, uh, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? 
You know, in other words, why am I going out, you know, battling against things just for, just, just for today, just for human reasons? He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, look, if there is no future, if after death we're not raised, if we die and we get buried and that's it, then what are we, what are we messing about with? Let's eat, let's drink, let's enjoy ourselves because tomorrow we're going to die. And that's the end of it. But he's saying that because he knows, he's arguing, that's not the case. That's not what we have in store for us, as those of us who know God. Those of us who know God and are his children and are loved by him, we know we've got an eternity ahead of us. This life is a tiny, tiny proportion compared to the whole of eternity. We're going to look back at it and think, well, what was that? Just a little few seconds almost in comparison to the eternity that we have ahead of us. What decisions are we making? Are we making decisions in the light of our life here on earth? Or are we making decisions in the light of eternity? And that's what Jesus is saying here. Stop storing up treasures for yourself on earth. He told a parable, didn't he, about a man who, who built a barn and he thought he was going to be secure and he filled it up. And then, and then God came and said, you fool, you're going to die tonight. What's that going to be doing for you? We're foolish if we just consider this life on earth. So Jesus isn't telling us that we're wrong to want to lay up treasures. He commanded us to. He just said, it's not a good investment. It's not a good investment to lay up treasures on earth. Why is it a bad investment? Well, he goes on to say, doesn't he? He says, moth. And rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. In other words, what we have on this earth, it's not secure. And it won't keep its value. Like my grandma's money in the attic, it didn't keep its value. Any number of things can affect what we own. It could be an earthquake if you're living in certain parts of the world, or maybe any part of the world, I don't know. It could be flood, could destroy property that you have. It could be the fact that money just depreciates and isn't worth as much as it was or infl- because of inflation. It could be uh, burglars who come in and steal it or rioters who destroy and steal. It could be that interest rates start to rise and we have to pay more and more money on our uh, mortgages. It could be that the stock markets start to fall like they are doing at the moment. It could be that we're sto- our money is stolen by con men or it's taken away by the government in taxes or there could be wars or terrorism. There's a whole load of things which could happen which make our money, our treasure, if we see it as that, the things that we own on earth, very insecure indeed. And of course people try and and, and, and make sure it's as secure as possible. And they, and they insure it as much as possible until they find out there's a clause in the insurance which doesn't allow for the thing that has happened. Oh, no. You know, but we try and shore it all up. But Jesus is saying you can't. This is what's going to happen to money. This is what's going to happen to what you have here on earth. If it's your treasure, moth and rust are going to destroy it. Thieves will break in and steal it. It is not secure. And in the end... When we die, we won't be able to take it with us. However much we have amassed on earth, we won't take it with us when we die. It won't be worth anything. Jim Elliot said, He's no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. 
He's no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. And we can read that and hear it and think, oh, that's very spiritual of him to give the things that he can't give. Oh, very spiritual. No, he wasn't just being spiritual about it. He was being wise. He was, he was actually thinking about what he was going to gain. He wasn't just thinking about giving up. He was saying, I'm going to gain something. If I give this that I have now, which is so temporary, if I use this for God's kingdom, if I use this money, this wealth, the possessions that I have for God's glory, it doesn't matter because I couldn't keep them anyway. And by doing so, I'm gaining something. I'm gaining something in eternity that I cannot lose. Let's take that example that Jesus gave of the man who found the treasure in the field. You know, the man who went, he, he found a field, saw the treasure, so he buries it, and he goes and sells all he has, and, uh, and so he buys the field with the treasure in. Let's bring it up to date a bit. I don't know if there's anyone sitting near enough where I, I can see them who's got um, a wallet or a purse with them right now, fairly handy. Just what I only with one person. Uh, who just, yeah, okay, Rachel, how much money, I don't want, the, want it particularly, I'm going to give you an offer. Um, how, much, how much have you got in that, in cash, just roughly? Nine pounds, nine pounds, okay. If I said to you, Rachel, you've got that nine pounds, you know, how about you give me that nine pounds and I give you my car instead? Actually, you might not be so sure about that. Um, <laughs> touch and go. no. <laughs> Well, he's not here. I'll give you Arnold's car, all right? <laughs> it's much better. Nine pounds. You can have, you can swap that nine pounds for, for Arnold's car. How about it? Now, would you go with that? Yeah, yeah. Now, if Rachel went with that deal, no one's going to say, oh, how spiritual you are, Rachel. How holy you are. Actually, that's just a good deal. That's just wise. Actually, she's stupid if she doesn't do it. She's foolish if she doesn't do it. You're just making a good decision. And people might say, oh, well, amazing. You were in the right place. Today. You had that money there at the time that offer was... It's not a real offer, by the way. It's not my car to give. <laughs> you know, you were in the right place at the right time. You would be foolish to turn it down. And if you did that deal, you wouldn't go away sad thinking, Do you know, I've, I've had that nine pounds in my wallet and now it's gone. You're not going to go away resenting it or feeling bitter about it. You'll be thinking, great, I had nine pounds, but now I've got something so much better. That's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like when we see it. That's the same situation we have in our lives. We've got a certain amount of resources, money, property, things that we own, and we can choose what to do with them. Well, it could include time in that. It can include talents and skills and gifts that we, God's given us in that. How are we going to use those things? Are we going to use those things in the selfish pursuit of accumulation of more goods and things just for ourselves to make our lives a little bit more secure, our lives a bit more comfortable? Things that are only going to affect us in this lifetime. Or are we going to think about the long-term view? Are we going to think about what we can gain? What's, what's the deal here? What's the swap? What's, what's God saying we can have in return for using these things. We'll find out a bit more about that later on. In 1861, the American Civil War started, had started. And the South were fighting the North. The South were the Confederates. And they began to print their own money. 
Uh, they had some money uh, that they distributed, and, and, and that, was the, that was legal tender. People could use that money uh, in the South, and it, it was used by people in just the same way as any other money. But as they began to lose the war, as it began to become fairly clear that the North was going to win, the North was going to win, defeat became more and more certain for the Confederates, that money began to lose its value. Towards the end of the war, you would have to pay $50 of Confederate money to buy a bar of soap. $50. In the past, it was worth so much more than that, but now, oh no, it's, it's, you have to use more and more. It's becoming worthless. In the end, obviously at the end of the war, when the Confederates lost, it became worth nothing. If you were in that situation at the time, if you were in the South during the time of the American Civil War, and you've got a load of American Confederate money. Maybe you've got millions of pounds or thousands of pounds. But you've begun to realize this war is going to be lost. This isn't, this isn't going to be worth something in the end. What's the sensible thing to do? Is it sensible to hold on to that money? I've got a million pounds. I'm going to keep hold of it. I'm just going to use it for myself now. No, because that money is getting less and less valuable. Or is it more sensible to invest in U.S. dollars? It's obvious, isn't it? You invest in the things which are going to last for the long term. You start to swap the money that you've got. You start to sell all of that, swap it for money which is going to last. You use what you have in the time that you've got it, in the short time that you've got it, to gain something which is going to be more lasting. And the wealth that we have at the moment, the things that we own at the moment, it's only going to be valuable for so long. It's only going to be valuable for this short period of time on earth until we die. Even then, even before then, we don't know how much it's going to be worth. There's no certainty in it. Just look at the stock market over the last few weeks. Money that you might have thought, I've got invested in these stocks and shares. You've not got it there now. It's worth a lot less. Yet instead, we can invest and store up treasures that will last for eternity, Jesus says, by using our possessions and our money in a sacrificial and generous way to extend God's kingdom. Only what is done for Christ will last. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians uh, 3. He says a similar thing than that. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 onwards. He says, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. The work that we do on this earth If it's for Christ, it will last, and it will receive a reward for it. And if it's not for Christ, it will just be burnt up. If it's just for selfish motives, just for ourselves, just for our own pleasure, that's gone, that's worthless. There'll be loss for that, Jesus, Paul says. The whole church began to get hold of this, didn't they, in in the early chapters of Acts, just after the Holy Spirit had come. They began to get hold of this way of living, this new way of living. At the end of um, 
Acts chapter 4, um, verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in hearts and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, just for me, for my pleasure. Oh, they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles began to continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was on them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time, all those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. People in the early church had begun to see this. It's not just about what they have for themselves. I own this house. I own this land. This is my inheritance for the future. No, they'd begun to see that they'd got a future which went far beyond their earthly life. Their inheritance was going to come, but it was going to come in heaven. And so they're thinking, it doesn't matter what we've got now. Actually, we're, it's not mine anymore. It's ours. We'll, we'll sell it. We'll, we'll just distribute the money. We'll make sure we're all looked after. We'll care for others. We'll extend the kingdom of God. People might have come into the church rich, poor. They all had enough. Because people were generous. Because people had got a different attitude. Because people actually knew, I, I can sell this. And my reward will be in heaven. It's beyond all of that. Now, one thing that it's important to point out when looking at this. Obviously, this passage that uh, Jesus is speaking of here is not saying that we can buy our way into heaven. It's not saying that we can spend our money, that we can give our money. We can, like, let's serve the poor, let's give our money to the poor, and we'll get, you know, that Jesus will be pleased with us, and then that's all right, we can get access to heaven. Jesus isn't saying that. We don't trade in our money to buy a ticket to paradise. Actually, our our ticket to paradise, our entrance to heaven, if we want to see it like that, is a free gift, which is paid for by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to pay for that at all. That's nothing to do with how we act. All we need to do for that is to come to God and recognize our sinfulness, our dependence on him, the fact that Jesus died on the cross to receive the punishment that was due to us. And that through his death and then resurrection into new life, we could come into a new life with, with God too. And it's free. When people try to pay for things that God says are free, uh, the, the apostles just say, oh, I can't do that. It's free. It's a free gift. The Bible tells us time after time after time it's a free gift. We don't gain salvation by buying our way into heaven. So this treasure in heaven that Jesus is speaking about, yes, it's eternal life, but it's also beyond that. It's also beyond that. So what is it? What's Jesus talking about if he's not talking about storing up treasures in heaven, as in, you know, you'll you'll have eternity with God in heaven? Well, obviously, first of all, we've got to say God is our main treasure. He always will be. Our main treasure, our main delight is always going to be God. We will delight in him more than anything else. When we come to see him face to face, oh, it will just be wonderful. Nothing is ever going to take the place of that. And of course, then there's other things. There's the joy of seeing people in heaven who've been saved partly because of of the work that we have done, maybe. Partly because of our service. Maybe we gave up time. 
to serve in an area of, of, of church life. Maybe we were, had conversations with people or we blessed them in such a way that they came, they came to see something of the love of God, of the grace of God. Eventually, they came to know God for themselves and they received eternal life. And there'll be such joy when we see them there in heaven. And we say, oh, I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled that you came through, that you responded to the love of God. But the Bible does speak about other things as well as being rewards. It talks about responsibilities that God gives us to govern. And it talks about us reigning and ruling with him, even potentially ruling over nations. Revelation 2 and verse 26. Revelation 2, 26 uh, says, To him who overcomes, I and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. There's, there's things for us to do when we're in heaven. Actually, we often just imagine it's just like floating around in some kind of, uh, sort of non-physical place and we're, and we're just maybe singing praise songs to God all the time, but there's not a lot else to do. Actually, God says we, we'll reign and rule with him. He tells us we'll rule over different uh, areas. We'll judge angels, it says. We'll rule over nations. There'll be areas of responsibility which God will give to us in response to how we have served him here on the earth. It's in direct proportion to how we have responded here on earth. Have we been faithful? Things like the parable of the talents expresses a similar sort of thing. That God will reward those who serve him well, who do well with what he gives us. The Bible talks about us being given crowns of life, which we will ultimately put down at Jesus' feet because the glory will all go to him. But we will receive crowns that we will be able to do that. Other things, too, that we will be able to benefit from. We might think, well, surely everyone will just be equal in heaven. Surely it will all be kind of one level playing field. Well, no, the Bible doesn't speak like that. Not everyone is going to be equal. Various verses that that explain that. For example, Luke uh, 14 and verse 12. uh, Jesus says to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back. And so you've been repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, there's going to be reward from God. And if we know God, we'll all be there at the resurrection. We'll all benefit. So what's this other reward? What's this reward that people will get if they have, 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 have put on banquets and invited those who can't repay them on earth? There'll be a reward that God gives. They'll be repaid by God in some way. We don't, the Bible's not always clear about what that is, but it's clear that there will be. There will be rewards in heaven. 1 Corinthians 3, we've already read, verse 11 to 15, talks about what we build, not surviving. And it says, um, the build, you know, if, if, you're, if what you've built is destroyed, you will suffer loss. And it says you'll be saved, but it will be escaping through the flames. There will be salvation, but there will be loss. We might think, well, surely it's enough to be saved. I'm sure I'll be happy enough to be saved. Well, of course we'll be happy. Of course we'll be, we'll be joyful to know God. Of course we'll, we'll be so grateful for what Jesus has done. But it says there will be loss. And we need to take verses like that seriously. 
whatever rewards we have, whatever God gives us, we've got it for eternity. We've got it forever. In other words, decisions that we make now about how we spend our time and our money and our efforts will have eternal consequences. If we have a reward, we have that reward forever in eternity. If we don't have it, if we don't take the opportunities we have now, if, we, if we're just selfish in what we have now, in our finances, in, in any area, then actually we will suffer loss comparatively. And that will be forever as well. So we can be thinking, well, sure, this sounds a little bit unspiritual. Surely we shouldn't be concerned about our own gain in this. Haven't we already gained enough from God? thing is, if we think like this, there are two problems about this. Firstly, we're not thinking biblically. Throughout the Bible, people had a heavenly reward in mind when they were enduring hardships in life or living sacrificially. For example, when we're told about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, um, the writer to the Hebrews tells us about Moses, and he says in verse um, 25, he chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He's saying, actually, these, these things that I've got in Egypt, this wealth, these riches, I could enjoy this. I've been adopted by the Pharaoh, into the family of the Pharaoh. I could just enjoy this as a prince of Egypt. But he made a choice. He says, no, I'm going to identify myself with God's people. I'm going to suffer the hardship that comes from that. Why? Because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking for a greater thing. He wasn't just being unspiritual. He was saying, there's a better thing coming. And actually, I'm going to focus on that. Paul uh, exhorts Christian slaves to obey their masters in Colossians and also in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Let's look at that one. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. It says, slaves, he's writing to Christians, people in the church, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the reward, sorry, that the Lord will reward everyone for what good he does, whether he is slave or or free. These were Christians. These were people who were going to come into eternity. And Paul was saying, look, just act so well as a slave to your master. You know, obey them with respect and fear and sincerity. Why? Ultimately, because the Lord will reward you. There will be reward on top of salvation. They'd already got that. If, if, he'd, have, if he'd have just been talking about salvation, they'd have gone, well, we've got that. So, so why? You know, I could just say, I'm not, a, I'm not a slave to you anymore. My master, my Lord is in heaven. I'm going to follow him. Paul's saying, no, don't do that. Obey them with fear and respect. You'll be rewarded by God for that. So others in the Bible thought like that, and we've seen a few examples. Secondly, it's not more spiritual to not think about a reward in heaven. In fact, actually, if you don't think about the future... If you don't think about that, it could encourage, potentially, 
a worldly attitude where we do see salvation as just a ticket to heaven. Where people think, oh, I've prayed the prayer, I'm in. That's okay. Now I can just live my life here on earth as much as I like. I'll just enjoy life here on earth. And then I'll enjoy life in heaven. It'll be wonderful. I've got, I've got salvation. I've got my entrance ticket. Now, obviously, if people do seriously think like that, then we do have to question whether they really know God. Because if we know God, if we've had a genuine encounter with God, where we realize our sinfulness, where we realize the extent of God's love and forgiveness and grace on our lives, actually, that will change us anyway. We're not just changed by motivation for future reward. That's not the only thing. We're changed in response to what God has already done in us. And we love him, and we, and we, become, in, uh, we become in his family, and we, we get to know him more, and his desires become like our desires because we love him. Yeah, there's all of that. That will all be the case. But it's not unbiblical to want to be rewarded by God as well. Like any child, we, we long to hear our father saying, well done, well done. You know, that has got to be our aim. When we get to meet God face to face, and we face judgment, and we will face judgment, and we know that actually we can know God for eternity in, in heaven because, because of what Jesus did. So we're confident in that, but we'll still stand before God. And surely we want to hear God say, oh, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my kingdom. Come into all that I've got prepared for you. Oh, it's so wonderful. You'll love it. Look what I've got for you. Oh, and you know, when you did this, I was so pleased when you did that. When you, when you, when you, just, you just thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite these people around, and no one else wanted to know them, and you showed them my love. Do you know, I was so thrilled by that. Oh, I've got a reward for you for that. Here it is. Wouldn't it be wonderful to say, oh, God, you know, we just, we just love you, but we're so thrilled that you're thrilled with us. We want to hear the Father's well done. We don't want to face loss. We don't want him to look at us and say, but what were you doing? What, what did you spend your time on earth doing? You knew my love. We don't want to face God like that. So how do we apply all this to our own lives? I guess we need to ask ourselves some searching questions, each of us. We need to ask ourselves, actually, what is our treasure? Because, because God's not saying money's bad. God's not saying wealth and possessions and property are bad. Not at all. But what's our treasure? What is our treasure? What do we value the most? What would we most hate to lose? What do we think about more than anything else? What gives us the greatest pleasure in life? If we ask those questions to ourselves and answer them honestly, we'll begin to get, begin to get an idea of what is our treasure. And we'll begin to get an idea of, are we storing up earthly treasure or are we storing up heavenly treasure? The Bible doesn't tell us we have to be ascetic. It doesn't tell us we have to give up all life's pleasures. We can be very grateful, and we should be very grateful for what God gives us here on earth. We can enjoy the things and the gifts that God gives us on earth. But we mustn't start to give them more worth than they do. We mustn't start to see them as treasures. We must hold them very lightly. 
because they're only here temporary. And we must be liberal and generous with them because that's what God's given us them for. Paul had the right attitude towards earthly treasures in, in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 and verse um, 12. He says, in verse 11, let's read. I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul said, actually, I'm just content whatever the situation if I'm going through hardship, if I've, if I've lost all the things, I've got no physical comforts around me, actually I'm hungry and I'm thirsty, well actually I've learned to be content with that. I've learned that God can supply all I need. But he's also saying, if I've, if I've got things, if God has blessed me and I've got wealth and, and, I've, and I've got plenty to eat and drink, he says actually I've learned to be content with that as well. I've not started thinking, oh no, I feel really bad about that, oh I can't have that, oh no. God take it all away from me. No, I've learned to be content with all things. He knew whatever, it was only going to be short term. But he had a very different example. He had a very different attitude towards his eternal reward. He, he couldn't care less really with what he had on earth. Oh, I have or I haven't. That doesn't really bother me. I'm easy about it. Is that what he thinks about his eternal reward? No. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, verse 26, he says, Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No. I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I won't be disqualified from the prize. And earlier on there, which I should have read really, he talks about people competing in games like the Olympic Games um, and going to strict training to get a crown, a wreath, that won't last, but he says we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He's seeing that his reward is going to last forever. He's saying, I'm beating my body. I'm making it my slave. I'm, I'm putting myself through the tough times. Why? Because I know I don't want to get disqualified for the prize. I want to get everything that God's got for me because he knows it's going to be his for eternity. He can cope for 20, 30, 40 years. Who knows how long? He can cope with whatever for that. To work towards eternity. Very different attitude. And he urges Timothy to teach the people in his churches similarly. In 1 Timothy and chapter 6, he says from verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He's saying, he's saying you know, tell people who have got money, Tell people who are rich in this present world. I would say that's all of us, pretty much, rich in this present world. And he's saying, you know, don't put their hope in it. Don't put your hope in wealth. Don't. It's uncertain. 
Put your hope in God. God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. We can enjoy what he gives us. That's okay. We can enjoy it. Let's not put our hope in it. Let's be rich in good deeds. Let's be generous and willing to share. Not just with those who are our friends either. Not just, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be generous towards you because I've got to know you. I like you. I'll be generous. No. Let's be generous to those who no one else is generous to. Let's be generous to those who we don't know that well. Let's be generous to those who aren't ever going to be able to pay us back. And we'll be laying up a treasure for ourselves, a firm foundation, that when we come into the life that is truly life, we'll say, oh, this is so much more. We thought it was, we thought we had some good things on earth. We thought you'd given us blessings on earth, God. But now we see, oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. We're taking hold of it. We can sacrificially use our resources to serve God and we will receive treasures in heaven beyond our wildest dreams. So finally, how do we do this practically? Well, interestingly, isn't it? In verse 21 of Matthew 6, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do we do? So we we begin to switch over our funds. When the stock market is going to fall or is in free fall like it seems to be at the moment, the experts and the financial advisors, they recommend people to switch their funds to something which is more dependable. At the moment, on earth, that is seen as gold. So people are buying gold. The price of gold is getting higher. People are investing in gold. They're taking it out of the stock market. That's why all the shares are going plummeting. But gold actually is doing pretty well. Gold is worth more. That's just how it all works. But they, they, they encourage people to invest in something. They say, that's going to be more dependable. Long term, that's going to be the thing that is, is not going to lose its value. They're wrong because everything will lose its value on earth. But that's what, that's what they're saying. Jesus is telling us to switch our funds from earth as, the, as our stocks in earth are going to pe- take a permanent dive. And he's saying, invest in heaven. It's totally dependable. It's guaranteed by God. It's not going to fall. It's not going to get worse. You're not going to lose your money. You're not going to lose out. You lose out here. It's all going here. But switch. Switch quick. Invest in heaven. Invest in heaven. It's like having confederate currency. Get rid of it. You don't want it now. Yeah, you can spend it now. You can buy your bar of soap. Or you can buy things at the moment. which You're going to be able to benefit from. But actually, it's not going to last long. Spend it wisely. Invest in heaven. And, and, and Jesus says, as we do this, our hearts will actually begin to change. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He's not saying it the other way around. He's not saying that where your heart is, where your heart is, there your treasure is going to be. He's saying where your treasure is, your heart will be. That's why the Bible talks about it being so dangerous to be wealthy. Because if we've got money and we see it as our treasure, that's what we're going to be focused on. We're going to be focused on this present life. Jesus says it's hard. It's hard for someone to get into the kingdom of heaven if they're rich. Why? Because they're focused on this present life. They're not thinking about the future. They're protecting what they've got. Change where your treasure is. Have you struggled to see church as being important? Have you heard messages preached on the church and you just think, I just don't get it. I wish I could get it. I don't get it. Well, start putting more of your resources into it. Start putting more of your time and effort and money into it. And your heart will change. Do you wish you had more of a heart for the poor? 
Well, start giving to work among the poor. Start giving to things like Stepping Stone that we are involved with in India, working among people with HIV and AIDS. Do you wish you had more of a concern to see people saved? Well, start giving to the church's work in mission. I don't know if you've got any shares. I used to have some shares once. I think um, it was Friends Provident. They, they, they did something, and they gave me some shares. Anyway, they went, went public. They gave me some shares, and I had these shares. I, I put, but I, I started taking an interest in them. I was looking in them. Oh, well, they're doing all right at the moment. Oh, they've fallen. I started taking an interest. I couldn't care less before how Friends Provident were doing, but now I've got some shares in them. Oh, I'm taking an interest If you invest in something personally, you'll take more of an interest in it. Your heart will be there more. A few years ago, um, I think someone in church gave a significant amount of money, and they specified that it was to go to Alpha, um, the Alpha course that we were doing. Um, Now, I would imagine, I mean, I have no idea who it was. No idea who it was. But I would imagine that person took quite an interest in how Alpha was going that year. They probably weren't sitting at the prayer meeting on family night when it was talked about just thinking, Alpha, yeah, okay. Oh, it's going all right. No, I've had 30 people turn up. Yeah, okay. They were, no, I've, I've given something towards this. They would have been interested. They would have been praying for it with more passion, with more fervor. When you give financially something towards something, it's an eternal investment. You've got more ownership in it. We're investing in the advancement of the It's almost like having spiritual shares you know, in in certain things. You could have spiritual shares in city church. You can be interested in how we do as a church. Or you could just think, oh, I'll come along on a Sunday. No. Actually, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Jesus is saying here, we can sacrificially use our resources to serve God. And we can know that as we do that, our hearts will change And we will receive treasures in eternity, which are beyond anything we can imagine. Let's take hold of what Jesus is saying here. We can easily get defensive when when Jesus or the Bible or preachers talk about money. But Jesus is saying, look, this is wise. This just makes sense. Why are you just thinking about this life? You've got eternity. And there'll be reward in heaven. Let's pray.